Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency. And you know what? You're listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders. How is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? Hopefully everybody's projects are going well or the plan to get them is going well. And if you are a consistent backer on Kickstarter, you know, go spend some money today. Go check out a cool project. So coming up on today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Clark Huggins uh, from the very successful campaign going on right now called Reckless Deck. So if you want to go over to Kickstarter, I recommend doing that today because he's only got a couple days, well, about six days left in the campaign. Um, But we had a great conversation. Uh, Fairly new dad. He's in the uh, illustration world. Um, You know, had a failed campaign. So we really, you know, prior to this, and and now he's just hitting a huge home run on on this very cool deck. And I'm not going to lie. At first, I didn't quite understand, you know, when I first reached out exactly what this was. But after our conversation, really, really opened my eyes as to what Clark has created here and how it can help creatives. Um, very, very cool thing here. Very cool. So I definitely recommend checking this out if you are a creative and you're interested in, you know, generating cool new ideas, you know, kind of when you hit the wall, uh, which happens to all of us, right? You know, can't constantly be inspired. So yeah, so again, that's coming up on today's episode. But why, why are we doing this podcast? I get that question quite a bit. Answer's pretty simple, man. I want to give as much information as possible. I want, to, I want you to hear from project creators while their project's going on. Um, I want you to, you know, hopefully become a supporter of, of the project, right? Go and support this community. I, I truly, truly believe that, that crowdfunding is one of the only vehicles left, I think, for small businesses or people with, with good ideas to get capital, um, you know, you've got the big banks, man, they're not going to talk to you. You can put this all on credit cards. Nobody's really into that. You can save, you know, for ten, five to 10 years and then, you know, hopefully line up all the other, um, you know, catch the lightning in the bottle after five or six years of saving up some money. You know, you can wait for your grandma to die. You can go to the venture capital route, you know, and that's got its own, you know, goods and bads. So, Crowdfunding is just such a powerful thing. Um, it proves viability, it proves whether or not you should be working on this project. Um, and if you do it correctly, you can have huge rewards. So that's why we do this podcast to talk to creators. Um, love to get into the stories here. Um, so yeah, so it's Thursday, man. Another week has gone by. We're coming up on a holiday weekend. Going to have a little three-dayer, you know, not going to do too much tomorrow. Going to take some some time for myself and the family, which is nice before I jump right into a crazy weekend doing live sound at the church. Yeah, got to make it sound good and we're moving it into the permanent space, but I've never been in the space. So tonight I'm actually going to spend some, some time going out there and, uh, you know, hearing stuff and, and checking it all out for the first time. Uh, should be interesting. So a couple things going on around here, you know, kind of, what was that? Neve, you all right? Don't do that again. That was just my daughter just screaming. So, um, you know, I've been I've been struggling with 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 a new thing here, and and this is probably going to be pretty personal, but I don't know, man. I'm really having a hard time with the mirror lately. The mirror is bothering me, um, man. I just keep looking at my you know my body and my hair loss and my hair growing in my ears and my you know my face is looking weirder. I, it's just, it's 
you know, I don't think we talk about much about this sort of stuff for, for men, but man, I am like, every time I look at it, I'm like, what is going on with me? Like the hair is parting in weird places and it's coming out my ear, my nose. And I don't know, man, I'm having one of those weeks where the mirror has become my enemy. And I don't think that's a very manly thing to say. I think we're all supposed to be all uh, macho and stuff, but, but boy, it is nipping me in the butt and it's a mental, you know what on me. And I don't have any answers to fix it right now, you know? And I see where, you know, and I'll say this too. In this whole, like, exploring why I'm, like, you know, looking more like a hobbit every day, I found a really, really unique wig scenario. And I know I just said that. Uh, And it looks sweet. And it, you know, it's way state-of-the-art compared to what wigs were back in the day. But how do you make that choice, right? Like, that's what, that's what keeps going through my brain here. You know, for the people that see me and interact with me, what happens if, like, you see me on a Tuesday, and then on Thursday, I roll in with the most thick, luscious hair you've ever seen? What's the conversation like from that point forward? Because that's what's constantly on my mind. Like, if, if, how do you go down that rabbit hole? Uh... And I'd love to actually talk to the men who have made that choice. And do you have a absolute no Fs care? Just you're just like this is uh uh it's about me. Maybe I I don't know maybe, but whenever I look at that sort of stuff, I'm just in I'm just entrenched in the conversations that have to happen after that. The explanations, the good for you, you know the. Or does it have to be tied with some sort of like gigantic move? Like, you know, if you were to get like a job in another state and literally you're like starting fresh, you're just moving in. Is that the only time that you can make the decision to go with the wig so that people's first impression so that, yeah, they can go on Facebook and they're like, oh, yeah, the guy didn't grow his hair, but his hair grew back quickly. So, you know, is that is that the only time you can make that sort of decision? Uh, Something that's really really been on my mind lately because boy i need to change you know and i think this all stems too. and clark and i kind of talked about this a little bit too on uh in the interview of you know this sort of trying to find these side hustles to make ends meet or to at least move your family from paycheck to paycheck to like a little bit of breathing room you know and clark like i said clark and i talked i think reckless debt kind of spawned from from this um you know and it's what i'm doing I started this interview talking about I got I'm working a live sound at the Easter, I, you know, on top of doing all the crowdfunding. So that that is this sort of this this constant state of hustle creates, I think, it even harder on our bodies and our minds. And you know, it's not you know that's why I mean honestly, it's why I'm tomorrow for Friday for Good Friday. I'm just bloop, I blocked out my entire calendar. I don't want to talk to anybody, flat out. And I I'm saying that today, but I guarantee you, I, I will talk to some people. You know, and then I go back to too. If you listen to the last episode, I talked about you know trying to get back into yoga and stuff. And guess what? I didn't make it. I flat out didn't make it. And I and and that that weighs on me. And and why didn't I make it? Clients, workload, hustle, picking up kids, you know, meetings. What is that? It's what I'm doing. Trying to fix it though. Trying to pivot trying to uh, somehow somehow find this balance. 
you know? Somehow find the balance. That's my whole goal here, right? I think this, well, that's probably what we're all doing. So, all right, that's enough of my rant. Maybe, uh, maybe when you start seeing pictures from me, I'm going to have a beautiful head of hair, this beautiful, just full locks. If I can remember what the company's called that, that makes it, let me see if I can actually, I can probably, probably find that data quickly here. But yeah, the, the wig conversation, right? What, what do you do with that? How do you do that? Who, who does that? Is there anybody that you know? That might be the other question. Like, I've never met anybody that, that's gone down that, that, uh, that rabbit hole, right? Because, <laughs> boy, I'd love to talk with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right here. It's called Quiff. Q-U-I-F-F and company. Wear Quiff. You guys should check this out. If you're like me and you don't understand why your hair is moving from your head to your ears, maybe it's, you know, this This is, uh, yeah, buy some hair. It's only, t- only 1,200 bucks pounds, so what does that equal? Or I can have a full design and template. I mean, you guys got to check it out. The reason I'm, I'm only saying this is that if you check out the brand, you will see what I'm talking about. Q-U-I-F-F. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make that big, big choice yet, but who knows? All right, guys, that's enough of me. Let's, let's, I hope you guys have a great, great weekend, uh, great Easter, great Good Friday. Hopefully everybody relaxes a little bit, you know, disconnects, disconnect from this crazy world. And uh, um, hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Clark from Reckless Deck. Uh, all right, here we go. Let's kick it to it. We're gonna we're gonna record a podcast interview. You ready? I am ready. All right, cool. I like that enthusiasm. So, uh, so why don't we tell my listeners a little bit about uh, what you're currently doing on Kickstarter? Sure. Um, my Kickstarter is called Reckless Deck, solving the problem of what should I draw, and it's found in the illustration section of all of the art Kickstarter Kickstarters, and it's it's a deck of cards. It's a deck of cards that I created. Uh, I'm, I'm an illustrator, and I work um, primarily in the science fiction fantasy area of illustration. And I c- created a card deck that I um, that I used in the studio for myself to to generate ideas that were uh, to generate ideas first of all faster, and then also to um, as it turned out in doing so, I ended up creating ideas that were really out outside my wheelhouse and were very challenging in terms of like my aesthetic or in terms of what I expected from myself or, or where I thought that my art was going to go. So it's, it's a card deck that uh, creates characters, it's an idea-generating card deck that creates characters by mashing up the different visuals and tropes and, um, and f- visual themes that you see in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and in steampunk. So let, let, let's let's break that down a little bit because uh, I think that might be a little confusing for some people. How would like so if I needed to come up with an idea, what would be my first steps? How how, how would this work? So if you um, you know if you're a creative person, not just an illustrator or an artist, but also it's very applicable to writers. It's great for gamers. Um, if you wanted to um, to create something and you wanted to start by creating a, a kind of character. Uh, then you would take this card deck, shuffle it, and draw three or four cards. And within the deck, there are five different categories. 
There's uh, like costumes, weapons, and accessories, things that a character would carry, weapons they would use, uh, costume items that they would wear, as well as like personal modifiers and kind of character attributes, physical character attributes, that, um, that are all, and all of these images are all pulled from the various genres of sci-fi and fantasy. You know, so uh, the fun part about this deck for me turned out to be when I realized that the when you shuffle the deck and dole out three or four cards, there's no regard paid at all to what is supposed to go with what. You know, like you'll get swords and laser guns and jetpacks and uh, shields and armor all kind of mixed up together, and then your your goal as a creative person is to then try to make some sense out of that. To try to use those, you know, very disparate and at times kind of conflicting, um, you know, prompts, and then try to actually make them make sense to make a character out of them. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So, you know, where did this sort of idea kind of spring from? It was one of those ideas that, like, you know, was like there. Bef- like, I don't really know. Like, I, de- I knew that I was looking for a way to get to, you know, to get past the idea-generating stage quicker and into the actual painting stage, you know, really as a method of practice. I wasn't looking for something that was going to help me make, uh, that was going to define my aesthetic or was going to help me make these sort of full-blown masterpieces. I was looking for a practice tool with this. And I started to realize that I could, rather than spend, you know, a day or two trying to come up with a perfect thing to start painting, to be willing to go into it with a lot, with a lot less in terms of like, have I really drilled this idea into the best possible version of itself? Is this a good idea? Is the, you know has anyone done this before? How how original is this idea? How far will this idea take me? And to just be like, what if I just like take all of the ideas and images that you see that repeat in you know Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Star Trek and. Uh, the Halloween movies and Friday the 13th and, and all of that stuff and just right. kind of dump it into one big like costume chest basically to look at all of those images treating each one equally and completely like separate from what it's supposed to belong to and look at them as just like things that you can dump in a box and randomly pull out a few and try to put them together and what you know what would that look like what would that feel like it's interesting and, it turned out it was like incredibly fun for me, you know, and really freeing and really felt like I was like getting away with something and kind of breaking some rules, you know, like Gandalf stuff doesn't belong with Spider-Man stuff like that's that's crazy talk. But once you once you once I went and did that, I realized that the ideas that I was coming up with were were very off the wall and really bizarre and, and really far away from anything that I would have done, um, you know, just had I had I just started from from nothing. So what was like the, in this sort of, you know, roadmap here that you were putting together, what was the first steps that you were laying out to see that you actually had something there? You mean in terms of, uh, as, as an idea or as an, as a professional product? Kind as of like a professional product, you know, like, like, did you, I don't know, cut them out of cardboard at some point? Like, like what were the first steps to kind of see this <laughs> thing, to, you know, that you started to put it together? I totally cut them out of cardboard. Actually, I used, um, I used index cards first. Uh-huh. And that was effective, but not very, like, it didn't have the same satisfaction. So I went and, like, cannibalized a couple of decks of regular playing cards. Right. And then once I had that thing that you could sort of handle and shuffle, 
and and deal out that was like really satisfying right and then my wife really was the kind of prime mover behind this becoming something that got out into the world as opposed to just a thing that I hoarded in my you know in my old studio and she was like no this is a real idea and we, we should definitely go and produce this and make this and that was pretty easy you know finding a card company that you know that produced I produced a, a couple of prototypes through a domestic company called Game Crafter. And they did a nice job on, you know, producing some, some like, there wasn't a lot of design work that I put into it, didn't have a real look or, or you know, it, it was just a functional prototype. And then I, I needed better prices if I was going to then do a run. Of, our first print one was 1000 and I found a company called MakePlayingCards.com out of, out of China. And they turned out to be terrific. You know, some people have asked me, like, gee, weren't you a little bit weirded out about trying a, you know, a totally unfamiliar Chinese company? But honestly, I found that in my dealings with them right from the get-go that they were extremely customer service oriented and very, very professional and were, like, very attentive to answering questions. So they never gave me any cause to really worry. What was the total time frame from initial idea to this Kickstarter? How long have you been working on this? This probably now had about two and a quarter years. Okay. What and over those that that time, what's been your biggest pivot? What's been the big? Did you have a roadblock anywhere or? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, you know, if you know this or not, but this is the second attempt at this Kickstarter. We tried to oh, okay. do this, we tried to do this in the fall as well, and it did not fund. And so I would have to say that the, the whole idea, as an actual professional undertaking has been, you know, the, the business model for it previously has been very small. You know, I, we did a thousand of them. We sold them on off of our website. We sold them off of Amazon. And I would sell them at conventions. They, would, they weren't available, you know, via any retail outlets. And it sold pretty consistently, but the numbers were all pretty small because I was always selling a single deck at a time. You know, I wasn't, no one was placing an order for like 2,000 units of this. Um, which would be pretty sweet if they were to do that. Um, but uh, th that's what this Kickstarter really is about, is growing this idea into something bigger than just this, like, hand-sell business model. What, what, what do you think the... What has been the biggest difference, then, from the fall to right now, where you didn't fund? Um, the, a, a lot of changes. No changes to Reckless Deck as a product, like, literally zero didn't change anything about what we had to offer. I had to make a bunch of changes in terms of how to, like, the, my Kickstarter Kung Fu needed to get better. Yeah. And the first thing I did with the, with the first Kickstarter is I tried to offer a lot of options. You know, I had all these different ways that I wanted to grow Reckless Deck as a, as a brand. And I think I tried to do them all at the same time. And that put me in a position to have a really high funding goal Higher than you know, than it was certainly higher than it was this this next time around, mm -hmm. uh, and also then put you know any success with it was all interdependent on all of it succeeding. <laughs> right, right, right. And and that I think was a was a real misstep. And I think also that the the amount of variety that I tried to put out there confused people and kind of muddied the waters of my messaging the first time around. Uh, and that was a, was a challenging lesson to, to learn to see that like actually variety in this in this kind of forum doesn't immediately succeed that it actually becomes something that turns people it becomes a lot of noise and people are like I don't get this I don't know where this guy is going and, and so I think that that turned some people away and so we had to really focus 
the second version of this Kickstarter onto one aspect of this, which was the volume two version of the original first edition Reckless Deck that I'd already produced. Gotcha. And, and in terms of like a psychological and, and, and vulnerability level, you know, what, what was kind of going through your head when it first failed? You knew you still had a good idea, you know, yeah. but like, 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 you know, what was that sort of mental makeup like for, for maybe those first, that first week after the, the, the failed campaign? But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't by the time we actually got to the end of the campaign, I was already past it. Okay. And already worked really, it was the second week of the campaign that I realized it wasn't going to fund. Right. Okay. You know, it was like we started really, really strong and then super plateaued and didn't see a lot of movement in like the next 10 days. And that, then yeah, it, that sucks. It really did. Um, but it was, I, you know, it's weird because I didn't really feel like the problem was Reckless Deck. And, you know, and I, and I, I think I was accurate about that. The problem wasn't the product. The problem was my ability to navigate and really make Kickstarter work for me. And I started to do a bunch of reading on, you know, failed Kickstarter and how to, you know, how to reapproach that. And I think what I found was a lot of, a lot of stuff out there on the internet saying that a lot of Kickstarters don't fit and don't fund the first time and that that's yep. a pretty common thing to have happen. And I think that that really helped me realize that, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily me as much as Kickstarter is not easy street. It's not something that you can just sort of waltz on in. And I thought that I had done my due diligence, but it turns out once I got in that the, you know, that the shark tank was like a lot deeper than I thought it was. So we can, we can bury the old campaign a little bit. So on this one though, what was that same moment over the last two years where you really feel like, felt like you had it? Like what, what was the, was there a pinnacle moment or a, you know, where the whole, all the pieces just fit and you just knew that you really had something? What do you mean with the new campaign? Yeah, with the new campaign or with, or with just Reckless Deck in general, you know, was there just a moment that you just really felt like, uh, outside of your wife telling you that it was great, right, but right. you know, try it out on somebody or, or oh, just... Oh, yeah, you know, I, I definitely did, you know, I road tested it and auditioned it a lot. Like I said, it's been two years since I came up with it, and I've taken it to a lot of different conventions, you know, to Gen Con convention, gaming convention in um, Indianapolis... I've taken it to Boston Comic Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, like um, which are you know in my area. I live in Providence. Uh, I've taken it to the Spectrum Convention in Kansas City. So it, you know it's definitely seen a lot of um, it's had a lot of audition time in the convention forums and arenas, and and people really respond very positively to it. You know, and I think that the amount of actually kind of like not interested feedback that I've gotten has been very very small. And the people who, who do use it really like it. I've never really had anybody actually try it out and be like, mm, I think this sucks. So, so that has been really, um, I think that, that I, I've gone into this with a sense of like, yes, I know how, I know that this product is something that people enjoy. It's just a question of showing, um, can I get the, all the sort of ducks in the row to have a successful campaign? And now I think also the challenge is, you know, now that the campaign is funded to really outreach to the, to the people, the, kind, the different kinds of people that, that I think that this applies to. Yeah. You know, like artists really get it. Writers pretty much get it. And I would like them to get it better. And I would like gamers to get it better. And I would like cosplayers to really get it better. And now one of the first stretch goals that we opened was, you know, one of the 
um, you know, the other iterations that I tried to include in the in like the, the base Kickstarter the first time around, which is the kids version. It's called the Apprentice Pack, and it's it's very much um, designed and 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 kind of delivered in a way that is meant to appeal to kids who are like from uh, seven to like eleven years old or seven to twelve years old. Because you know, I had a, I had a chance to have a like a little meeting with a woman who does focus groups. Uh, she's like an independent focus group person, but she has run a lot of focus groups for Hasbro. And I showed her the Reckless Deck, the original Reckless Deck, and she's like, I love this. I think this is a great product, but this is not the deck for kids. I think right. it's, it's designed a little too adulty. It's a little too kind of intense. I don't want to say scary, but it's it's got a very adult vibe to it. And, you know, I, I created this for myself as a professional artist. And I think I created it with other professional artists in mind, and so some there definitely had to be some changes to its, you know, to its look and feel in order to be, a, and also some, you know, some of the content also needs to change too in order for it to be appropriate for kids, because I think that that really, from a business standpoint, I love like the, the you know the adult professional college student and you know young up and coming artist version of reckless deck because it's appropriate for like a co- you know high school to college level student all the way up to somebody who works at Pixar or right. industrial light magic can utilize this deck and have fun with it and get something out of it uh, but I think that truly from a business standpoint the apprentice pack the kids version is probably the one we're gonna make and sell the most of so how do you walk that fine line of you know kind of in this conversation, realizing in your first campaign, you had maybe too many options or too many things going on to where, you know, how, how slippery of that, of a slope is that in terms of trying to accommodate everybody and, you know, it, it, you know, with, Hey, we want to get kids involved and we want to have this kind of version of it. Right. Like, 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 like how slippery is that slope? Do you feel like? It's not too bad so far because I feel like, you know, what's really strange is, you know, I tried to create all of these different iterations and, and variations in the first Kickstarter, and a lot of those became our stretch goals this right. time around. And the campaign has really, you know, caught a lot of air in a way that is, like, super a relief and very satisfying after the first one kind of just didn't quite make it over the hump. So it feels really great to have, you know, to have this work out this time. But also, those iterations have become our stretch goals this time, and they're just unlocking like every other day. And, and now there's all this variety. Right. You know, and people are responding really well to it and are really excited about it. So I don't know, I don't know what the takeaway is there. You know, like, <laughs> I, that like, I'm basically now that we're on our stretch goal number seven or whatever, we are kind of having the Kickstarter that I tried to have the first time I just had to, that initial delivery system had to be a lot more narrowly focused. Sure, sure. So let's go back, let's go way back. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, actually. I grew up in in Rhode Island in a town called Bristol. Um, And then, you know, and I live in Rhode Island again, but that's actually a fairly new development. I oh, really? Left, I left for college, you know, when it was time to leave for college, like you do, yeah. and ended up going to, started at Syracuse University, ended up finishing college on the West Coast. I lived in the San Francisco area for like, you know, I finished college at UC Santa Cruz in Santa Cruz, California. Oh, wow. Uh, and then lived in the Bay Area for another, you know, two or three years after that. Then I moved to New York. So I was in New York. Actually, you know, I'm a professional illustrator now, was was an actor for about 13 years. You know, started as started as an illustration student, got wooed away by the theater, 
and backburned illustration in order to be a professional actor. And I was a stage actor in San Francisco and New York for um, for a number of years. Went to grad school for acting, uh, so went to Boston for, for grad school, then came back to New York, and then was didn't move back to Rhode Island until uh, my wife and I got married here. We actually had our had our wedding in, in Providence, and just had such a wonderful time here. And, and also at that time realized that after grad school for acting. I started to illustrate again, you know, and, and I work in advertising as an illustrator, and that's still, you know, what I do for my my job. Job is illustrate storyboards for advertising. Uh, and I started to really realize that I was transitioning out of acting and into illustration full time, which just was proving to be much more rewarding. It was opening up so many more opportunities for me. It wasn't this theater started out as a wonderful thing, but then turned into a really not wonderful thing, you know, and I think that you, I think that you mentioned that you, you know, are a musician or, or attempted music oh, I, as a... I toured, I, 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 I ran it up the flagpole as far as you can go. As far as you can go, right? <laughs> like, uh, I, I did the same thing, and I started to actually, I, I started to ask myself, like, when was the last time I had a really good experience doing this? Like, yeah. there's just not a lot of joy, there's not a lot of fulfillment coming from this, and at this, it started to really hit the point where I was like, at this point... If you were to honestly ask me, I feel like I'm in it for walking away money. Yep. Like I just, I just want to have an, a something hit enough to where I can say, okay, that wasn't all for nothing, and thanks for my check. See you later. Yep. And I hear you. I started to realize that as illustrations start to get better and better of a, of a thing for me, I realized I didn't need my acting walking away money. I had found the thing that was going to really fulfill me and that all I needed to really do was just walk away. And, and what's your, uh, what did your parents do or what do your parents do? My dad, well, they're both retired now. My dad was a, uh, was an engineer for actually the defense industry. Okay. Um, he was, um, he was like a design, an engineer and a project manager for submarines. He used to build naval submarines for the government. And my mom was a nurse for, for many, many years. I mean, what got you into illustrating as a as a kid? Where did that kind of start? You know, who, why did why did why did anybody do with that, that kind of thing when they're two and three years old? But I was, you know, I would draw stuff. My dad would come home. It was the seventies. He'd come home with reams of like the dot matrix computer paper with the sure, little sure. tear off edges, <laughs> and I would and I would fill a ream of that stuff in a week with just wow. you know little kid whatever little kids draw. You know, like with the weird stuff that I would draw. Um, probably at that point, a lot of Superman and Spider-Man and superhero stuff. Uh-huh. What, what, yeah, where, I mean, when it comes to like illustrating, how much, and just in general, and I think this goes with musicians as well, how much is that is taught as opposed to just some natural ability or just that ability to just get what's in your mind out onto a piece of paper? Uh, you know, it's so funny. There's so much conversation about this in my industry, about the value of talent versus the value of experience. And I definitely know some colleagues and some mentors of mine that really, truly believe that talent matters zero, that it really is all about training. Huh. I tend to think that talent, definitely there is a certain, I think that people's disposition or, or just their, the accumulation of their experiences leave them more available to certain things than, than others. You know, and that they can you know, get in on it and, and pick it up and really be off and running quicker than a lot of other people. But I also have seen, and believe me, I experienced this firsthand as somebody who left illustration and then came back. The 10 years I was out of illustration, the number of people that maybe 
wouldn't have been considered as sort of quote-unquote talented as me, but who had been like busting their ass for 10 years while I was off acting, they really had outpaced me and outclassed me in the time that I was away. And getting, you know, getting back into that, um, being a competitive professional was a humbling and painful process. And, and, you know, I guess in your area, is there a huge community of, of illustrators or, you know, what, what's it like in, in Providence, Rhode Island? Well, it's awesome in Providence, actually. It was really a welcome change from New York. It's a great city. There's a lot of universities here. You know, first of all, it's a very pretty city. Now, it used to be kind of a dump, but they, you know, about 20, 25 years ago, there was this whole big urban renewal thing. It's actually really gorgeous here in lots of parts of it. Um, but there's a lot of universities. So you've got Johnson & Wales, which is Culinary Institute, RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, which is the, you know, the art school. Um, the Providence College, Brown University, and Brown University also has a joint program uh, similar to the program that I did uh, at Harvard with the, uh, with the American Repertory Theater. So Brown University has a like a, a graduate theater program with the Trinity Repertory Institute, which is the regional theater here. So there's lots of great theater, there's lots of great art, there's lots of great food. And I think that because there's so many schools here, people who graduate from them tend to stay and create things in their industry, so I feel like there's actually a great art community and a great film community here. Well, let's, let's flip a little bit over to the Kickstarter. So, so my backers sure. know, um, you know, you had a $7,500 goal, and you're, you've crushed that goal. You're just under 30K yeah. with, with a couple weeks to go. So what was kind of the overall strategy in terms of a marketing vibe on the second go-round? What was the overall, you know, just sense in how you wanted to present this campaign? Definitely to do more of it. I think that the first time I didn't do nearly enough pre-campaign advertising. Uh, and I think that I tried to scramble to then once I was in the campaign. And again, like, there's, you've only got so much bandwidth. that you, There's only so much you can, excuse me, accomplish. And I, and I was spending all of my time getting ready for the Kickstarter that I don't think that I paid enough attention to the promotional aspect of it. And I definitely realized that you need to be like promoting the hell out of your Kickstarter relentlessly while you're, you know, before the campaign and every step of the, along the way. So there is a lot more promoting that I'm doing this time, and a lot of it comes in the form of like social media, Instagram, and Facebook advertising, which I find that can reach a lot of people for a very affordable rate. So was there any sort of like a um, like a pay per click strategy or anything that you could point to that you were like? Hey, this is what we're seeing is working the best. I think that it's rather than pay per click, we're running Facebook ads that are targeted at certain interest groups. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're we've got one kind of like set of like one audience that's much more gaming focused, and one that's much more you know concept art focused, and one that's moms. You know, so like because we want to reach mothers and parents about with this apprentice pack thing, say, hey, moms, this is awesome for your kid. And, and I feel like that is proving to be very effective. Like, we're seeing a lot of click-throughs um, from the moms group. Interesting. Yeah, that, I wouldn't have expected that for some reason, but that's, that's intriguing. Did you, you know, was there any sort of um, thought pro- process to, like, A-B testing or anything like that? Or, or were you just, hey, let's just see what this mom group does or whatever? Yeah, it just we're really just kind of... And I feel like with Facebook ads, they're inexpensive enough to where you can kind of just like float stuff out there and see, run it for two days and see what results you get back. Because, you know, you can look in on those ads in real time and see who's responding and how, you know, what your click-through rate is. Right, 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 right. 
So, so what do you what do you see like as scale for the Reckless deck? You know, what what do you envision that you know happens over that the is, next few years? That is such a good question because you know as a as a freelancer and as an artist, you know, I think that as a musician you can relate to this. I think that any IP that you can create for yourself that can you know be a little money making engine in the background mm-hmm. can only add security to your family and to your financial situation. Sure. And hopefully will provide like an avenue for you to spend less time, you know, grinding it out working and maybe more time doing the work that you want to do or creating the stuff that you want to create. I mean, so far, actually, Reckless Deck is like the opposite of that. It's so much work right now being in the middle of the Kickstarter that I have no time to do any art. But I'm hoping that that is going to be a, a temporary situation. And I do really believe that I, with this Kickstarter, I want to have enough inventory to really approach the retail aspect of this, to get this as an item that you can walk into um, like a, a comic book shop or a game store hmm. and get, or, and, or walk into a college bookstore or, you know, like an art, a college art, um, like an art college bookstore. Right, right. Or even like the Brown University bookstore. Or, you know, do you have a, what's the university that would be near you? I'm sure there's University oh, of Michigan. Oh, well, we've got, yeah, University of Michigan. I'm, uh, we've got um, Wayne State. We've got Michigan State. I mean, there, yeah, there's a ton around us as well. Here. Yeah. To have this be an item that you might see in a college bookstore, um, I think that it potentially could cross over into stores that have a little bit of like a hipster novelty aspects to them, you know, like Urban Outfitters or Newbury Comics um, would definitely, this might find a home in. And I think that the Apprentice Pack, the kids' version, I really want to see that available in like the, I mean, I have a two-year-old, so I don't, and you have kids, you know, the um, yeah. like the Fat Brain Toys catalog, you know, the catalog that you yep. get that has all the kind of like, you know, the science sets and the, and the yeah. you know. I think that this, the Apprentice Pack would, would live really nicely in that catalog and I really hope to get in touch with those guys once I have a workable prototype to see if, you know, and I know that all of that, you know, toy related stuff is super competitive. So I'm not expecting that to be, you know, incredibly easy, but I do think that, you know, it's, it's definitely, I think it really has a valid shot of being something that they would be interested in Mm -hmm. because I've learned that kids really flipped out about the original reckless effect. They love it. And it gets kids drawing who may, pardon me, not even necessarily be like the art kid. Right, right, right. Because I think the kids, there's an age where they like to just draw stuff. You know, they don't worry about whether they're, they are the art kid or not, or whether or not it's any good. They, like, I think friends like to get together and just be like, let's draw robots, or let's draw, you know, let's draw sharks, let's draw G.I. Joe, or whatever. Like, I used to do that with my friends, and I was the art kid, but, but they weren't. And they were totally happy to draw, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons gangs going down into the, into the, you know, into the dungeon or, or sharks, robot sharks, whatever, you know, and we had a lot of fun doing that kind of thing. And I think that, um, I think that kids would, would really be into this and I would like to really try to reach them, you know, with this product in a way that makes it available, not just to art related people, but just kids in general. You know, I was just looking uh, just a minute ago on your page. What is the illustration community like on Kickstarter? I, I haven't actually seen much, and I, I do a ton of these interviews. I'm right. constantly looking, but but I, I thought it would. I thought that was an interesting choice of where you put your put your product under a category. 
in general, as you're kind of looking through, what do you see going on in, in illustration when it comes to Kickstarter? I don't necessarily know that a lot of the products end up in the art section per se, but I do know a lot of illustrators in my field are using Kickstarter as a platform. And they may create an art book, you know, like um, I know two guys separately who have just done, you know, their own iterations of Norse mythology type books that they've illustrated. And both of them were very, very successful. So, but I, they were in the book section, as far as I, as far as I know. A lot of people do games, game-related things. Like people will uh, illustrate like their own a poker deck or their own tarot card deck, and those products all do really well. And I think that there's a shared well of information and experience now uh, between myself and you know the colleagues that I either know personally or I'm connected with on you know social media. About how to how to pull off a decent Kickstarter and about you know what the do's and don'ts are. So I felt like I definitely had a lot of resources to turn to when I you know I thought that again I thought that I had done my homework when entering into the first one, but then when the first one didn't fund, I definitely dug a lot deeper in to find out you know what they had to say about why the first one didn't fund and how to correct it in the second version. Yeah. Sounds like you got uh, you got some bang in there. Like yeah, that, that, I see. I see should, kid, somebody is supposed to be taking a nap right now. I feel like I'm about to become like the audio version of that dude who was on uh, who was on BBC who got completely <laughs> yeah. oh, photobombed yeah. by his children. That could happen any second now. Hey, hey, hey that stuff's all great, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I always have to tell everybody like if you hear a pterodactyl, that's just my that's a kid. They just sprinted, just, they have no concept of what, what's going on in front of them. But, uh-huh. but uh, so you know, so you've got 15 days to go. Obviously, you've hit your goal. What is like an, What's the 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 temperature like around you and your family and, and and the campaign? And then what do you have planned for the next couple of weeks so that you don't hit that lull of despair and and you know you're not seeing the traction you want to see? I don't think you know. I think that there is no despair at this point. Like we funded, we've funded a bunch of expansion packs. We funded the kids version, and I think that we're like coming up on funding the world's deck, which is a full size deck for environment artists, people who do, um, you know, people who do. I mean, anybody could do it, and lots of people are interested in it. But you know, at the highest level, it would be the people that do the the planet designing for you know, sci-fi movies or whatever, right. or, 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 you know, like where do they go end up when they're on Star Trek? What's the planet look like? What is, you know, what is the star killer base look like in, in force awakens, that kind of thing. Yep. So people are like kind of go crazy for that deck. And I had no idea that they were going to be that excited about it. Oh. Um, so there is no despair at this point. Like if the campaign were to end, I would be pretty psyched. I mean, I definitely see a future for it. And I definitely see that there's more we can we can do with it, and we can get further, which would only help me recoup some of my costs and put my family in a better place, and offer more stuff to the backers. But and also today marks I think the midway point, and there just hasn't been very much slowdown at all. It's been that's good, which really surprises me. There I haven't seen. I would say that the growth has been very very consistent within. One or two hundred dollars of you know from day to day, it's the same almost every day. Wow, that's good. Yeah, that 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 trough that I usually we, we trough and despair, what we call it is 
for most campaigns, you just see that slowdown in the middle, you know, and, and you're not seeing that. So that, that's really awesome. So do you have a strategy to keep it going or to, you know, double down on Facebook ads over the next two weeks or anything that you're, you're thinking about um, trying to do? Nothing, you know, there's no magic bullet that I, that I think of because I feel like what we're doing is, is working. Continue the Facebook advertising, try to reach those other kinds of groups of people, try to keep the backers engaged. I really work hard to, um, to put, you know, project updates out there that come from a very personal place. You know, I try to talk about why I think that this project is very much a labor of love for me in terms of my love for the industry. And sci-fi and fantasy in general, and, and why that's fun for me, and why I think that that's interesting, and what particular steps led me to create like an expansion, or the, you know, the in the way that I did it. You know, like I just did a, I just did a project update. We just unlocked the what I call the dungeon crawler expansion, which is an expansion pack of stuff that all all cards that visually prompt you to do stuff relating to what it's like to play, you know, a game of Dungeons and Dragons, which I don't do a lot now as an adult. But when I was a kid, I loved that shit, you know, like I was all over it. And, and so I talked about that in my update about like how much nostalgia there was for me around, you know, doing a a fantasy related expansion and why I chose to focus it on like the RPG, the classic fantasy RPG experience because I had this, you know, this really warm spot in my heart for it as a kid. Yeah, that's awesome. And I feel like people are really engaging with the content. The backers are really, um, they seem to be very passionate about it. They're very active. There's a lot of comments happening, a lot of people offering feedback. And I feel like there's a bump in activity in both the, in both new backers and people adjusting their pledges and comments every time I put a project update out there. So, so that, that's a, uh, you, you segmented or segued right into a question I, I was starting to have is how did you prepare, you know, being a, a new dad, um, you know, a relatively new dad, having a career and being able to, I think you have like 187 comments, be available to answer these comments and put up updates. How did you kind of project manage your whole bubble there, you know, to, to be able to do all this stuff? I would say it's not as much of a bubble as it is a um, kind of like a, a giant avalanche hurrying <laughs> down a mountainside. Sure, okay. It, yep, yep. It's, it's not pretty. Like I yeah. definitely have to tell you, it's not. It's not like I definitely don't wake up in the morning and you know do a bunch of sun salutations and reflect on like how I'm managing all aspects of my life in this perfectly zen way. I'd say. <laughs> Like, my studio right now is impenetrable. My son cannot come in here because it's a death trap right now. Like, there's stuff everywhere. Um, I do have shows and art that I'm trying to, to you know, to, to continue to be on top of. But one thing I feel like, I am getting enough sleep. I definitely feel like my diet has suffered a lot. And I really feel like exercise is just not even an option. Like, I feel like I can hear myself, like, gaining weight as we sit here and talk. Uh, that's a, that's a, that maybe that'll be like one of our new mottos for uh, the wood uh, for the successfully funded. Yeah. <laughs> As you listen, you'll hear yourself gaining weight. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's kind of gross. So, so I, you know, I don't I don't think it's it doesn't it doesn't doesn't look pretty. There's no system to it. There's really no regularity. It does feel like everything is kind of opportunity based. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I feel like this is the moment with the Kickstarter. So like those project updates are proven to create a sense of, you know, buzz and a sense of positive response among the backers. I feel like they have to get done. Yeah. And obviously you can't leave your son in the, you know, in, in the pantry for like 18 hours. Right. So I definitely, the kid thing has got to, it's got to come first. I feel like as a freelancer, I do have the ability to, you know, kind of adjust where, how much work I take on. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely suffering right now. And I'm, and I'm kind of in the long game. I'm like, either this Kickstarter needs to like generate like a couple hundred thousand dollars <laughs> or I need to get some work going like really soon. Sure, sure. But, but in not, you know, in not taking on that work, I do feel like it's allowing me to, you know, to run a more successful Kickstarter. Right. So in 16 days, right? Day after mm-hmm. the campaign, what, what's the first step once that money drops and you know, what, what starts to happen for you? Um, I, I, I don't know. I really, I actually, that's not true. I get on a plane and I go to Kansas city for the spectrum convention. So, you know, like the next day I, my flight leaves in the morning and I go to a convention, which I think is going to be a great, at first I wasn't going to eat. I tried to actually un to, to, to cancel my table and they're like, well, there's no refunds, which I probably suspected anyway. Right. I was like, okay, I have this table. It's definitely not going to be the kind of convention where I show up and I'm like, I've, here's the artwork that I've been slaving away at for this past six months. You know, look at my commitment to my studio time because that has not been the case. I do think that there's going to have to be a lighter and leaner version of presenting my work at this convention, but it's also going to be a great place for me to utilize uh, having um, employed the services of Backerkit because they set up a pre-order Mm-hmm. store for like an online pre-order store for you. So I'm hoping that I can use being at the convention as a great way to pull in, you know, kind of post campaign backers and people who will do some pre-ordering for what is going to be like this really great selection of new reckless deck products that we're going to be able to offer. So if nothing else, I'll be able to sit there and, and tell people about the, you know, about the campaign and about the, the ability for them to pre-order. That's awesome. And then uh, I think I got one more question is, you know, what does five years look like in terms of, of making decks, illustrating? Like, like, what's the big, huge vision that you're seeing for what you're working on? You know, I would love to see Reckless Tech become more of an, it, like a product and an institution and not something that feels so startup-y right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love it to actually so stake its claim in the, in the toy and game world and have it be a thing that is, a, you know... Like I said, like one of those secondary sources of income for myself and my family that allows me to, you know, ease off the throttle in terms of doing the advertising work and do more of the kind of artwork that I that I want to pursue. Uh, I'd love for the apprentice pack in particular to become something that really does well, you know, with kids around the holiday season or when kids have a birthday party to go to. It's like a perfect gift price point. Um, And so I'd love to see it become a thing. Like from a business standpoint, uh, and then you know, there's there are clients that I, I, you know, I'm assuming you're probably like what late thirties, early forties, somewhere in there. Yeah, late thirties. Late, late, late yeah. yeah, you know, I'm I'm early forties, and but yet I still feel like I am hustling just as hard as I was when I was twenty five. Yep, I hear that. And there are uh, there are clients that I'm dying to get. You know, I'd love to be doing comic book work for Marvel or DC or Dark Horse. I'd love to be working for Magic the Gathering, which is a great game client that everybody in my industry, you know, has great things to say about working for. 
I'd love to, you know, and I have a graphic novel project that I would love to launch, and that, you know, I can't really see past the end of my nose right now, but once the dust settles around this Kickstarter, that probably will be the next Kickstarter that I start to slowly generate the engine for, is this graphic novel project. So I'm hoping that that Reckless deck will become a little bit more of something that runs successfully in the background and doesn't require my constant attention the way it does right now, and that I can then grow my career and start to really pull in some of the clients that I that I you know had that are kind of my dream clients. The other thing I can say about that is Reckless deck has really really taught me a lot about the kind of art that I like to do. You know, the, 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 the mashup aspect of it in terms of really pushing these kinds of uh, disparate imagery together reminds me a lot of the, the theater work and the stage work that I used to do in that, you know, when I would do a Shakespeare production, uh, I was never ever, when I was a Shakespeare actor, I was never in, maybe one time I was in a Shakespeare play that was set traditionally in like, you know, Renaissance Englandish sort of you know costume and, right, right. and everything was always the play, the Shakespeare play was always this kind of blank armature that designers would then put their own kind of vision on. And I think you see that a lot in the filmed productions that like the, of the Patrick Stewart's Macbeth and Ian McKellen's which is the third, people are, you know, they see more and more of that. People wearing suits and ties and acting Shakespeare. But it allowed people this blank canvas to be like, hey, if you want a cell phone, you can have a cell phone. If you want an Uzi, you can have an Uzi. If you want a sword, you can have a sword. And you know, if you want a stopwatch, or a, I'm sorry, like a pocket watch or a or a, an hourglass, you can have all of those things in in one production. Yeah. And Reckless Deck does that same kind of like amalgamation and mashup of these different tropes and these different images. And I find that incredibly fun. And so I feel like I made a big discovery about my own work through you, through making Reckless Deck and through using it. And I want to make more of that kind of work. I want to make work that really creates a kind of visual tension between putting these, just juxtaposing these very um, unrelated icons and images together in, into one piece. That's cool. Man, it's exciting stuff. So where, where can people outside of the Kickstarter find out more information about you and what you're working on? Um, my website is clarkhoggins.com, uh, all one word, um, C-L-A-R-K-H-U-G-G-I-N-S.com, and Re Reckless Deck has its own website, which is recklessdeck.com. How about Twitter? Can we find you on Twitter and Facebook? Yes, all that? Uh, uh -huh. Twitter is uh, at Clarkus Huggins. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, I don't know. How do you feel? I, I feel pretty good about this interview. I, th I think I'm, we did a good you know, job. I'm, I'm, I have a great time actually, so I'm always a little. I did, you know, I did a couple of these before we launched, and they got increasingly more fun, and yep. increasingly like I'm like, oh, okay, that that's a that's a fun thing to talk about, or that really is right, right, a right, confusing right. thing to talk about. So don't <laughs> don't say that again. But yeah. I am always sad when these things end because I feel like you know um, I could talk for another. You know, we I, you asked actually in one of your when I went back and one of your more recent shows, you were like, hey, talk about the experience of what it's like to move to the big city versus, you know, not move to the big city in pursuit right. of your artistic thing. We could talk for like two hours about that. Alone. Oh, I could do that too. Yeah. yeah I, right? I have to be cautious on that too. I can go on a, I can go on rants very quickly and I have to. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> you got to reel it in, but I think we did a great job, man. I appreciate it. I think you got a great product going on. I'm intrigued to see where you take this. Uh, Cause I think you've got a ton of 
ton of great options. The stretch goals look awesome. And I think you're going to hit, I think you got, you're, you're definitely trending upwards. There's no doubt about that. And the next next two weeks should be interesting for you. It's uh, right a cool campaign. See, you see a lot of this, so that's good. I, I do, man. It, I think it's it's intriguing. I think you you know you you've definitely found uh, a, a very unique ni- uh, niche to be in, um, and, and it's very intriguing product. So, uh, well, cool, Clark. I appreciate you taking time out of your day though, and stepping away, and you know uh, not being in the avalanche, and, and taking some time to talk to me for a little bit about uh, about your campaign. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. It was really fun. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, you're welcome. All right. How about that interview there with Clark? A lot of great stuff to say there. I mean, I think that guy, you know, he inspired me, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk and meet and become Facebook friends and stuff. And hopefully we can stay connected. So the song we're listening to is a song called Sunday. Um, wrote this a long time ago. It was all about this sort of, <clears throat> well, dark, dark days of my life here. Um, so yeah, the song really meant a lot to me uh, we, we took an old sample uh, from an old record and sampled it and um, that's what you hear in the background but I'm going to stop talking so you guys can hear I hope you guys have a great uh, Easter weekend and talk to you all on Monday it's secrets I kept safe like the